Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. It's 1996. I'm six years old and I'm in a sea of people in this packed stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Tom Michael Johnson has lane three, his favorite lane. My dad brought me to the Olympics. So I'm with him and we're way up in the stands. It's hot and humid. And I'm standing on my chair, trying to get a better view of the fastest man in the world, Michael Johnson. He's an American track legend, and I can just see him down on the track as the race is about to start, lacing up his famous all-gold Nikes. Johnson is trying to become the first man ever to win the 400 and 200-meter gold medals in the same Olympics. The huge crowd gets quiet as the runners get into their starting blocks. Everyone is holding their breath. Flash gloves flashing, Otto Bolden away well. So is Frank Fredericks, and here comes Michael Johnson. Everyone around me stands up. They're all looking in the same direction. I can't really see, but I can hear. By the second half, straight away, it's not even close. It destroys his own record. Johnson runs the 200 meters in 19.32 seconds. He breaks his own world record. And everyone is screaming. People are crying and hugging each other. All because one guy ran really, really fast. I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. I'm more than just a big fan of the Olympics. I'm an athlete, too. I play professional 3x3 basketball, which you might know is three-on-three. And a few years back, the Olympic Committee announced that 3x3 would now be an official sport in the Olympics. I knew right away I had to try to become an Olympian because it's something that I've been dreaming about since I was that little kid on the bleachers in Atlanta when Michael Johnson won. I know how to play basketball. That's my sport. But there's another question that I wanna answer. What does it mean to be an Olympian? So 
So I've been talking to Olympic athletes from different countries, sports, and time periods about what it takes to make it to the games, what happens off the field, and what the Olympics mean to all of us. Every Olympian has a different journey to the games. And for Billy Mills, his journey started about as far away as you can get from the Olympics. It was 1948, and he was 10 years old. I thought, wow, I'm going to become an Olympian. <laughs> his dad brought home some magazines. So he started reading those to me. And one of the magazine articles said, Olympians are chosen by the gods. Billy is a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe. He grew up on tribal lands, the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. It's a community that's shaped by this country's legacy of violence against indigenous peoples. It's where the largest massacre of Native Americans in this country's history happened, in 1890, at Wounded Knee. These days, Pine Ridge has the lowest life expectancy in the nation, just 67 years. It's one of the poorest places in the U.S. Billy grew up in poverty. His mom died when he was just nine years old. He was still mourning her, still grieving, when his dad brought home those magazines and told him that Olympians were chosen by the gods. Maybe if I become an Olympian, I'm chosen by the gods, I'll be able to see my mother again. I'll be able to see my mom. But for all the generational trauma that Billy inherited, he also remembers the good things on Pine Ridge. Like riding his bike 15 miles across the windy plains of South Dakota to swim in the reservoir. Grabbing a tomato from one of the farms he passed along the way. And his time with his dad. My world with him was, was extremely intimate. I was the only one that spent hours with my dad, just father and son. Uh, go fishing together, he'd tell me stories. And Billy's dad was living with a terminal heart condition. He didn't know how long he had to live, but he wanted to be a good father while he was around. So he taught Billy about Lakota culture. The eagle takes the prayers to God. So I grew up with that idea, that concept that your, your prayers are taken to God by the eagle. What stuck with Billy most were stories his dad would tell him about sports. His dad was a boxer. He'd get these old newsreels of the boxers. In New York City, so I watched uh, Joe Lewis. I watched Jack Sharkey. I, I watched all the old great, great boxers in the little newsreel type at our home on the wall. The champion and challenger put their signatures to the contracts. And he would tell me to dream the dream pursue the dream, he'd tell me to find the passion, develop the skills, and so he was, he was mentoring me. His dad taught him that sport isn't always about winning or losing. He would just say, find your passion. Something that you would love doing every hour, every waking hour of the day. Find your passion. Develop the skills of that passion. And then he'd say, what happens if you bring a passion together with your skills? And I, first time hearing this, I'm nine years old. And I'd say, I, I, I don't know, Daddy. And he'd go, boom, magic happens. And he would say, I want you to create the magic. 
So my dad had me believing in magic. He had me believing in miracles. Then he died. Billy was only 12 years old when his dad's heart finally quit. Just like that, Billy was an orphan. He was sent to Haskell Indian Boarding School in Lawrence, Kansas, about 10 hours away, and as far as Billy had ever been from Pine Ridge. It was on a quiet road in this residential neighborhood, part of what you might consider an all-American town, white picket fences and stuff. But it was completely foreign to Billy. And that was by design. Haskell and other Indian boarding schools were created by the U.S. government to assimilate Native kids into so-called American culture. The government, U.S. government's concept of that was to take the Indianness out of the Indian. Billy felt lost there, separated from the culture that his father taught him about, dropped into a place that was designed to make him forget who he was. The Indian boarding schools are notorious places, and Haskell was particularly hard for Billy because he's mixed race, half Native American and half white. That isolated him even more. He just missed his dad. He missed his mom. And he missed home. So what filled that void was cross-country. If I could just run, it was very spiritual. Just finding my feet hit against Mother Earth. It was like my senses were wide open. And each step, I'm drawing from the heartbeat of Mother Earth. I was drawing strength, spiritual, emotional, psychological, cultural. And it was empowering. Running was the magic his father had told him about. It was a way to maybe one day get in front of those Olympic gods and see his parents again. I spent time thinking, I spent time healing while I was running. I'd go on some runs and cry. I got on an 11-mile run in Lawrence, Kansas, a half mile away from campus. I'd start crying. And I'd cry until a half mile back from campus. I'd go on a 10-mile cry. <laughs> half mile warm up, half mile warm down, and a 10-mile cry. <laughs> and during that time, the cries maybe for a mile were cries of sorrow. The next nine miles, they were cries of dreams. Just, I think I can do that. And I'd start crying because I knew indirectly I was speaking to my dad. Those flat, dirt Kansas roads, surrounded by miles of cornfields, are where he started to figure out what it took to be a great runner. I'd go on a run, and I was constantly challenging myself. I'd pick out from one tree to the, to the next, or if I was on a dirt road, from one tele telephone pole to the next. And I'd start sprinting as fast as I could run without losing composure. Composure. So when you've been running hard for 10, 15, or 20 minutes, keeping focused on your run, on your form, is a challenge. You need to stay efficient to the end, 
all of your movement has to drive you forward. And eventually, I do two telephone poles as fast as I can go without losing composure. Then three, and I was doing four. And it worked. Billy started winning races, even breaking high school records. I came out of high school, had the second fastest two mile in the nation, had the fourth fastest mile. He got a full scholarship to the University of Kansas, where there was this legendary running program led by a powerhouse coach named Bill Easton. Easton had already turned two athletes into Olympic champions, and he'd been scouting Billy for years. Easton had these black horn-rimmed glasses, that 1950s slicked-back hair. He was charming. He had this very contagious personality, and I loved that. I, I, I loved to be around him just to watch him and observe, and I could see how he was, how he affected people. And most of the team felt that way about him. As a coach, Easton was a hard ass. He pushed his athletes, but he got results. At this one meet in college, Billy won four races in a single day, the two mile and the one mile relay, the distance medley and the three mile race. But Billy had some really bad days too. Meets where he couldn't even finish in the top three. And that's where a reporter came up to me and said, Billy, you do great in a lot of the smaller meets, but you can't seem to produce in the major meets. Is that because you're an Indian? And my comment was, you know, I'm half white also. I don't know which half is losing. And then I said, D do you? I don't know which half is losing. Billy would hear racist comments like that everywhere he went. This was in 1958, the middle of the civil rights movement. The whole country was in a battle over segregation, but Billy wasn't white or black. It was hard to figure out where he belonged. Somebody finds out I'm Native American, a white athlete. He goes into his little rain dance, whooping, and uh, that's the they would they would address me. Uh, that was a real story that that happened. Uh, and. I, I would just, I'd laugh it off. I'd have to tell myself I have to, have to stay strong. Billy always had to be strong. When his parents died, when he moved away from home. But all that being strong, it's draining. And Coach Easton wasn't helping. When the racism got to Billy, when his running suffered, instead of supporting him, Easton only made Billy feel worse. You're orphaned. You're a minority. You grew up in poverty. You have to learn how to deal with those issues if you're going to mount anything. So my coach broke me in college. Billy was in Louisville, Kentucky his junior year at the national championships. He ran the 10,000 meter race and came in fifth in the country. After the race, the winning runners gathered around for photos. Billy lined up, put his arm around another competitor. One particular photographer simply looked at me and said, you, the darker skinned one. I want you out of the photo. So we all look at our skin, kind of like glanced at one another, but they knew I was the darkest one. So I broke, I stepped out. It wasn't the first time that Billy had been asked to step out of a photo, but that day in Kentucky, he'd had enough of all of it. We drive back to Louisville. I don't even know the name of the hotel, but I check into my room, three stores up, kind of a slope in the back, so it's like, more like four stories. 
Billy dragged the chair out to the balcony of his hotel room. He stood up on it. I, I was going to jump. And looked down at the 40-foot drop. I, I broke. I just, I didn't belong. And it was like I heard energy underneath my skin moving. I didn't hear it through my ears. I heard underneath my skin energy. That sounded like a voice. And the voice sounded like a word. Don't. Then again, don't. Then I'm getting that voice. Don't. Then slow, but direct, powerful, loving. Don't. It sounded like my dad's voice. After Billy's mom died, his dad taught him the power of a dream. It saved him. And a decade later, in that hotel room, Billy was sure it was his dad saving him again. I start crying. I got off the chair. Got an ink pen in the room, a little pad. I wrote down a dream to heal a broken soul. I wrote gold medal, Olympic 10,000 meter run. Believe, believe, believe. I thought it was, I thought it was my dad's voice I heard. And he used to tell me when I was this little boy, follow your dream. It's the pursuit of a dream that heals broken souls. After Louisville, Billy knew exactly what he wanted. The gold medal in the 10,000 meter race at the Tokyo Olympics. He had four years to get ready and a lot more to learn. At the big college races, Billy would stay right in the lead. But then in the last lap, other runners would sprint right past him. Billy started to think that he wasn't running smart. He was spending too much of his energy too early in the race, trying to stay in front. So he told Coach Easton that he wanted to work on his kick, the final burst of speed that can make or break any race. I felt I needed speed work. And I remember him telling me, son, he bent over and with his hand, waves, you're an Indian. Indians run forever. Then he said, Negroes are sprinters. So this coach is telling me I can never be a sprinter. I couldn't improve my speed. I just had to run forever. Just run forever. Get to the front of the pack and try to stay there. It was Easton's answer to everything. Just get over it. Be stronger. When Billy ran, Coach Easton would always yell the same thing. Billy, get up in front or get off the track. Easton would yell this every... Get up in front or get off the track. Single... In front or get off the track. Race. Get off the track. At the end of his senior year, Billy was racing in Pennsylvania when he heard it again. One more time, again. get up in front or get off the track. And so... Billy did. I walked off the track. He walked off the track in the middle of the race. It was the end of his college running career. 
Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series Art Bust, Scandalous Stories of the Art World. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest scandals. I know it's a cliché, but it's a cliché because it's true. There's no honor among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States, to recognize their crimes. It's about murder in the name of art. Tune in to Art Bust, Scandalous Stories of the Art World, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At the highest level of any sport, athletes know more or less what works for them. On their own, they can get to, let's say, 90% of their potential. That final 10% is the difference, though, between good and great. Coaches are there to get that extra 10%. But it's a collaboration, one that takes trust. Trust that their coach is making them 10% better, not 10% worse. And when you find a coach you can trust, it can help you break through. After he graduated from the University of Kansas, Billy joined the Marines. And when he started training again, he had a new coach, Tommy Thompson. He was a legend with a gold medal of his own for the hurdles in 1920. Billy still remembers the day he met Coach Tommy. He said, son, then he looked at me and said, you have incredible talent, Lieutenant. I'm glad you're here. Then he said, but I don't want to coach you. I want to be your mentor. Mm. Now I've got to keep from breaking up here because I learned the word mentor from my dad. He never coached me. He mentored me. It wasn't easy for Billy to let another mentor into his life. But Tommy listened when Billy told him that he needed to work on strategy. He saw that Billy had the physical skills to be an Olympian. And together, they would work on that extra 10%. It was the mind. It was was just having confidence that, that you can control your mind. At the Olympic level, Running is as much mental as it is physical. So Billy and Tommy came up with a new race strategy. I didn't want to be in the lead. I wanted to be at the lead pack. I just uh, kind of wanted to draft off the lead pack. Instead of tiring himself out by fighting to stay in the lead, just staying in the lead pack would put Billy in a position to get other runners thinking, reacting. He could pull out ahead of the lead pack, put on a little burst of speed and force them to chase him and just broke them there. And then now we're down to three instead of five. Billy thought that picking the other runners off one by one 
would leave him with enough strength at the end. After six miles of hard running, he'd still be able to put on a burst of speed in the final sprint, the kick. That's what Billy needed to have a shot at gold. The Olympic trials were a month before the Tokyo Olympics. Billy showed up at the race feeling good. There was only one runner he thought could challenge him, an 18-year-old out of Spokane, Washington, named Jerry Lindgren. But Billy trusted all the training he'd done with Coach Tommy. Now we're at the Olympic trials, an hour before the race. I hear, Billy, I turn, there's my college coach. (laughs) Bill Easton. Billy thought about how Easton's coaching had broken him. I have to address it. So I go up to coach. And I said, coach, I don't know if you realized it. I cannot perform in your presence. And if I hear your voice, I'm going to drop out of the Olympic trials. That's the control that has on me. Please work with me. Don't let me hear your voice. He backed off and said, wow. Uh, I, I, I understand, Billy. Uh, okay. He had finally said it. Something he had wanted to say for years. Shut up and let me run my own race. The race starts and immediately Jerry and I take command. The race is close between Billy and Jerry, back and forth. But in the back of my mind, I'm listening for Coach's words. And if I knew, once I hear his words, I'm crushed. I'm dropping out. Billy's up front, fighting it out with Jerry with a little over one lap left to run. I'm waiting for his words. They didn't come. Jerry made one more move with 400 meters to go. I let him go. I looked back. Third place was 200 yards behind me. And I just started celebrating. It was like the world was lifted off my shoulders. I controlled my destiny. He'd qualified for the Olympics. But for Billy, it was bigger than that. He'd outrun Easton's power to control him. My next thoughts were, I can't let that happen in Tokyo. Even if I hear his voice, it's not going to bother me. I'm free. The Tokyo Olympics started on October 10, 1964. Billy was one of only a handful of Native American athletes to have ever made it to the Olympics. Historically, the Olympics have not been kind to indigenous people. The founder of the modern Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin, believed that sport could be the so-called civilizing force for indigenous people. The first Native American gold winner was Jim Thorpe in 1912, but his medal was revoked for violating IOC rules that many people argue were selectively applied against him. So Billy wasn't just representing the United States in Tokyo. He was representing indigenous people everywhere. And back on Pine Ridge, thousands of miles away, some Lakota people are praying. They worked out the time difference between South Dakota and Tokyo and woke up in the middle of the night. There was no way to watch the race live, but they prayed for Billy. They told Billy, And we're going to pray, not for your victory, 
We're going to pray that you can represent your family, your tribal nation, the United States of America with, with honor. If you do that, you have victory. Billy was one of the lowest ranked runners in the race. So at the starting line, Billy was put in lane 7, on the way outside. That's where they put runners who aren't supposed to have a chance. I line up, and I'm going to win. And they're off. It looks like Czechoslovakia's Joseph Thomas. Is 29 runners surge forward. Immediately, it's a battle for position. The first few moments of the race can make or break your performance. From lane seven, Billy needed to get inside fast. Runners are jostling for position, bumping each other to clear space. Some flail, trying to find a place to take their next step, hoping not to step on someone's foot, not to roll an ankle. The spikes on the bottom of the running shoes are catching people in the knees, in the shins, the calves. And Billy fights his way into lane one. One lap in, he's made his way into the top half of the pack. And he's looking for the front runners. And I can see them up there. I can see Gamuti. I can see the, the runner from the Soviet Union, uh, Halberg from New Zealand. So I knew who the red players were. And then Clark takes off. Immediately, he opened up the field. Six, ten seconds set in 1963 by Australia's Ron Clark. Ron Clark from Australia. He's already a living legend, and he holds the world record. Get to the front and push the pace to the absolute limit. Just break the competition. Outlast everyone. It's kind of like Coach Easton's old strategy, and it's a gamble. Billy sees Mohamed Gamudi from Tunisia, right up there with Clark. Also running in the league pack, Mama Wolde from Ethiopia and Kokichi Subayara from Japan. It's an intimidating group. Then, Billy gets in the mix. The lead pack was formed after the first lap. Now there's six of us. Clark is on world record pace. So it's down to five. And he just, boom, lap after lap, he's on world record pace. And it's a slow, muddy track. And he's on world record pace. Clark is flying and people are dropping. Billy knows he's running fast, but as he approaches the halfway point, it dawns on him. This is pretty much the fastest he's ever run 5,000 meters. He's ripped through the first three miles. And when his brain figures that out, his body starts to feel it. He's hurting. Bad. I can't do it. I almost quit. But Billy has to stay focused. Billy thinks, if I let him go now, I'll never catch Clark. But then I said, this is what I trained for. So I've got to close the gap. He puts on a burst of speed. So I closed the gap. Halfway point, I took the lead. And Clark took it over within 20 meters. But I recovered again. I felt the strength. 15 minutes into the race, about halfway through, the stadium lights come on. The setting sun turns the sky bright gold, hazy, the lights fading, and the crowd is transfixed. And the lead pack is moving so fast that they're now lapping the slowest runners in the race. 
They're lapping Ceylon's Karunanda. Juan Clark has, has the lead, we believe. Juan Clark has the lead. Billy Mills of the United States is in there, a man no one expects to win this particular event. And it's starting to feel like it's anyone's race. Ron Clark of Australia tries to break free sometimes. He opens up a five or 10 meter lead, and then the other three catch him. Then someone else surges out ahead. It's Billy Mills of the United States and Juan Clark. And there's Mama Waldi of Ethiopia moving up into third position. Billy Mills is back and forth. They're wearing each other out, not letting anyone get comfortable. They're all covered in sweat, breathing heavy, and Billy is determined. He thinks all I need to do is make it to the last two laps. My mentality was get ready for a half mile. The race is going to be the last two laps. 800 meters, half a mile. It's down to Ron Clark of Australia, Mohamed Gamudi of Tunisia, and Billy Mills of the USA. Billy puts his head down. He opens up his stride. And that's when Ron Clark takes a look back, checking to see who's still with him. I saw him look behind. My thoughts were, my God, he's worried. As the last lap approaches, Ron Clark is running in lane one, and Billy is on his shoulder in lane two. And Billy has an idea. Up ahead, there's a runner they're about to lap. The runner is in lane one, the inside lane, and the same lane as Clark. So Billy gets up in front of Clark, just a step, but he stays in lane two and puts Clark on a crash course with the lapped runner. And here we go in the final lap for the gold medal in the 10,000 meter. And up front is Bill Mills, he's pressing. Clark is in a jam. It's going to work, Billy thinks. And that's when it all goes wrong. And Ivan boxed in, then I decided to move up another yard and come partially in. So there's no way he can squeeze by me. I accelerate it, I start to cut in, he accelerated. So we bump. Clark bumps Billy with his forearm. Billy ignores it. Clark bumps him again, and Billy ignores it again. And Clark has had enough. He's not getting boxed in today. He bumps Billy again with his elbow this time, hard. He comes under my arm and pushes me into the third lane. Billy stumbles. He barely stays on his feet. And Gamudi, who's right behind Clark and Billy, sees the stumble. And in the inch of daylight between Clark and Billy, Gamudi shoves through. But Gamudi goes out ahead as Gamudi right now leading in the 10,000 He hits Clark in the face with his elbow, bumps Billy again. And it's just a disaster for Billy. Now all of a sudden I'm 10 yards behind and I almost took off after them. But he doesn't. There's still 300 meters left to run. Focus. So I thought, I've got to just stay calm. I've got to regroup, stay in contact. Don't let them get any further ahead. I've got enough energy to make one final try. At 200 meters left, it's time for the final sprint. And Billy is still behind Clark by just five meters. And Gamuni is just a few meters ahead of that in the lead. I'm coming off the curve. I'm eight yards behind, lifting my knees, pumping my arms. I start to go into the sprint and it's not there. And now it's looking like third place for Billy. At least he thinks. But then, one of the runners they're about to lap from Germany turns to look at the leaders. So as I go by the runner, trying to lift my knees, pump my arms, trying to get into sprint mode, I look, and the, the runner turned a little in the center of his jersey. 
was an eagle. And I was back to this little boy on the reservation. My dad would say, if you do these things, son, someday you can have wings of an eagle. The last stretch. Wings of an eagle. I can win, I can win. And now, Billy's sprinting, and his body just completely transforms. His arms are punching the air behind him. His knees are high. His stride is open, just like he trained. His form is perfect, and he's moving faster than he ever has before. And just wings of the needle. I won, I won, I won. The tape breaks across my chest. From Kansas, coming through to defeat Ron Clark and Mahout Gamori of Jonas with a tremendous sprint as they came through. To heal a broken soul. Gold medal, 10,000 meter race. Billy did it. In 28 minutes and 24 seconds. 40 seconds faster than he had ever run before. Then I said, I have to find the German. So I start to tell him the eagle on your jersey. You see, that helped me win. I looked. There was no eagle. Billy was an Olympic champion. And he kept competing, running races around the world. At some point, he made it back to Pine Ridge for a ceremony. His tribe honored him, made him a warrior, and they gave him a traditional name. Which is, loves his country. More traditionally, respects the earth. What did that feel like? Well, it, it, it made me understand that I had to fulfill my giveaway. <clears throat> and a giveaway, if people help you achieve a dream, and if you bring people honor or respect, I had to give back. Since that race, Billy's been giving away all he can. He started an organization to help people on Pine Ridge. At 82, he still travels all over the world, talking to indigenous youth about how to achieve their dreams. If there's one thing Billy's running experience taught him, it's the power of a mentor. I wanted to heal the broken soul. I healed it. And in the process, using running as a catalyst, I wanted to leave having a number one ranking in the world, which I had. I wanted to have a world record which I had, and I wanted to have a gold medal, which I had until I gave it to my grandson. You gave your medal to your grandson? Gave it to little grandson, Dominic, who was born like at 30 and a half weeks. Um, he's about 6'3 now, 16 years old, but you could hold him in the palm of your hand. He's just this little baby, and he would forget to breathe, and you'd have to blow in his mouth. Just blow it, he'd start breathing again. Uh, he, he, I saw a warrior fighting to live. 
I'm going to give Dominic the gold medal because here's a man born with some challenges and he's overcoming them. Hmm. He reminded you of yourself in some ways, huh? Uh, that, that, I love that question. I never thought of that. What I thought of was, I want to be the words my dad gave to me, to him. Uh, I want to try to be his mentor. This episode was produced by Mitchell Johnson with production support from Jess Shane and Greta Weber. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Our senior producer is Alex Sujong Laughlin. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, and Greta Cohn. Sound designed by Alex Overington. Our music supervisor is Jasmine Flott. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, and Amy Bell. Special thanks to Grace Stone and Ryan Schwieger for help on an early draft of this story. This is a USG Audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.